Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm in the studio as usual with Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Tonight on That's Truth, we'll be continuing to discuss the topic of suicide and euthanasia. Worldwide, there is an attempted suicide every two seconds. A successful suicide takes place every 40 seconds. And suicide is the second leading cause of death worldwide for those between 15 and 29 years of age. Pastor, I want to start out the discussion this evening with a WhatsApp question that came from Antigua last week. We weren't able to get to it for the sake of time. And the question was, would you say that Adam and Eve committed spiritual suicide? I never thought of that question. Uh, one is very provocative. Um, I am not too sure that Adam and Eve fully comprehended the decision that they made and the and the full consequences. I know that God told them that they would surely die, but I am not absolutely sure that they really, really fully understood the full impact of what that meant. But in any case, um, uh, the fact that they went against God's will and God had warned them that the day you eat this fruit, you're going to die, and the fact that they willfully partook of the fruit, uh, I suppose in a metaphorical sense of the word, you might say that that was spiritual suicide because it brought complete separation between man and God, if you want to interpret that way. Um, I had no qualms with you using that terminology. Last week you were stating that people often will choose suicide because of depression or a lack of hope. Are there other warnings or risk factors that we should be aware of? Um, there, there are a lot of other signs that you can look for uh, in a person who is... Uh, tendency to be suicidal. Worldwide, globally, depression is the main cause of suicide. And uh, people get to a very, very low point. Uh, they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, they don't have any hope. Uh, they don't seem to have the inner resources to cope with whatever they're facing. They're under tremendous stress. And uh, it's pretty much they give up on life rather than turn to God and a resource that is unfailing. And in that moment of gloominess, uh, clearly a lot of people commit suicide. But there are other signs that, that uh, help you to, to get hints besides just depression. There's the uh, suicidal attempt. Um, this is the most dramatic way of a person trying to indicate that they really need help. And uh, sometimes they don't intend to do themselves uh, final uh, irreversible injury. But the fact that they make the attempt is an indication that they have suicidal inclinations, and that should be one of the... Uh, the and then there's a suicidal threat. Any time a person threatens suicide, it must be taken seriously. 80% of 
of those who say they're going to kill themselves end up killing themselves. So to just brush it off in a nonchalant way that doesn't matter, they, they always say that, um, take it um, much more seriously than that because uh, not only the attempt but the fact that they give you the threat it's a kind of, of warning as well. And again, when people tell you they're going to commit suicide, they're appealing for help. They want, they don't want to kill themselves when they tell you that they're going to kill themselves, really. But they, they need some help. They need someone to uh, to come alongside them and help them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, another thing that's important is the suicidal hint that they will sometimes give you uh, when they say words like, you, you would be better off without me. Um, oh, life has lost its meaning. Uh, I just hate to face another day. Um, it's more of the same again and again. Some of those are pretty benign or not yeah. pretty veiled, I should say. Yeah, they are. But again, you, it's not just one hint or one sign that is the final factor. It's a cumulative thing that people are saying that you because some all of us say things like that at some point in time. Yeah. So we have to look beyond just this um, this hint, but watch for other signs that uh, this one adds to that would indicate that the person is somewhat seriously. Or when somebody asks you a question, does a person commit suicide when they lose their salvation? Now, where did that come from? Are they really searching for an answer, or are, is this something to be thinking about? Oh, um, what does God really think about a person if he takes his own life? Those kind of questions are, uh, might seem benign, but they have um, resonance somewhere on the inside. The person seeking an answer, try to find it out. And then suicidal activity. Uh, for example, making sure that all the bills are paid, a person making a will, and um, just out of the blue. They've just made a will, and you just can't figure out. We haven't discussed it. Uh, it hasn't come up before, but suddenly it's now seen to make making arrangements as though they're going away and packing. And uh, there's no indication that uh, there's a business trip or they've, they've, they've planned this before. It's just uh, they, act, they, they give you a sign, they give you a warning. And then other symptoms would involve mood swings, um, people who are anxious and agitated, uh, people who get easily upset, um, Withdrawal, uh, staying indoors, keeping away themselves, shutting off themselves from contact with other people, uh, and then the loss of appetite, um, weight loss, and um, if they're married, the sexual drive is gone. Uh, so those physical symptoms also come in. And then also, um, has there been a recent crisis that this person's had to endure? Um, some really specific stressful situation that has come upon them recently. For example, the de death of a loved one. Uh, did they recently lose their job at work? Um, or they failed at school. They failed an exam, a major exam. Um, are they having marital problems? Is the wife threatening to divorce them? Uh, is she planning to leave? Um, uh, is there a job loss that, that occurs that is going to interfere with the financial security of the family. Uh, what about a broken romance? And this happens a lot with young people. Um, I remember my first encounter with suicide was when I came from fishing a night. And uh, when we pulled the boat on the shore, uh, uh, was to see a young man hanging from the tree. That was my first encounter with a suicide. Mm. And I learned later that his girlfriend had, um, had broken the relationship. 
and his way of coping with that was to hang himself. So romance, broken romance, people whose feelings and, and whose um, they love, especially a person they love dearly, when they lose that loved one, whether by death or by some other means, that can provoke a thought of, of suicidal attempt. And then, um, may not be a job loss, but what about financial reversal? A person who's invested a lot of money, and then suddenly the stock market change or something happened, and it collapses. That can lead, uh, of course, um, uh, a public embarrassment. That might seem rather strange, but we have a, a, a gentleman in the Bible called Ahithophel, uh, who was the counsel to David. And when his counsel was given and David did not accept it, he went over and hung himself. His pride was, mm. was stung deeply, and he couldn't stand the fact that he being the main counselor in David's cabinet. And David completely ignored his advice and took a secondary counsel from somebody else. And his pride uh, drove him to commit suicide. So I think when you look at the, the composite picture, uh, these suicidal attempts, the hints that are given, the mood swings, the isolation, the withdrawal, um, some major crisis that that person has faced. You take all of these things together, and it's like a, a great burden that weighs that person down. And then, ultimately, is when that person comes to the sense of hopelessness, feeling that nobody cares, nobody understands, there's no solution to my problem. Um, those cumulative effects uh, incline the person towards uh, being suicidal. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. And the voice that was answering the question was that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy. You mentioned young people uh, with a broken heart uh, being susceptible to suicide at times. In Antigua over the last year, it's become very evident that suicide is not only an issue for adults, but also for adolescents. Are there other risk factors that are specific for adolescents? I think the with adolescents, um, it's a high-stress period. I think most people know that. You're between a child and an adult. You're trying to find your way. Uh, you've got all kinds of issues you're dealing with. You've got boyfriend, girlfriend relationships. You've got the pressure of school. You've got the peer group. People push you in different directions. And then it's the time when people are totally absorbed with their image. Uh, whether I'm attractive or not attractive. Uh, there are so many factors that, that bombard a, an adolescent that inclines him um, to think that the solution to his problem maybe is to just non-exist. Um, I would say that as a, a parent who has an adolescent child, um, you need to look for certain behavioral changes uh, in your child. Um, you don't know, I mean, some people who have committed suicide have shocked me. Um, when I hear even Christians committing suicide, that has shocked me. But there are some things that you should look for, uh, especially in your adolescent, that should be a warning sign to you. Uh, what I'm going to say now, a normal adolescent would go through these as well. But again, uh, you have to know your child. You have to know your child's inclination. And, but I would say if you see a dramatic shift in the quality of the child's performance at school, uh, there's a lot of pressure uh, in the Caribbean to be successful. I've said this before, and I, it's worth saying again, um, the, ch the future of a Caribbean child is decided at the, on the 11-plus exam. I'm not too sure that at that age a child can handle that kind of pressure. But if you didn't do well on your 11-plus exam in the Caribbean, you're pretty much written off. Um, and I think that is extreme stress that are placed on kids at that age. 
so look at look for that. Uh, you know, the quality of his, his work performance in school is beginning, especially if he's gone into secondary school, he's not doing as well as he used to do in um the primary school. That 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 should be a very you should take that very seriously. And then a change in social behavior. What 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 kind of um so how did he socialize before? Has that made a dramatic change? Is he more uh, inclined to withdraw? He's not as social as he used to be. Excessive use of drugs or alcohol. And again, you need to know your child. You need to search his bag, go into his, cl- his room and he's not there and make sure that um, you keep a check on him. He's in your home. Uh, he has to respect your property. And uh, you, you have a, a no limit. I mean, a, you're not permitting drugs in your home, uh, but you have a right to be able to check on your child. Uh, this idea that a child has privacy, that's okay. But there's limited privacy. As a, as a person who runs your home, if you smell marijuana or you think the persons that he's moving with are using marijuana, and today, by the way, with the legalization of marijuana now, I'm not too sure you'll meet any child who's not on marijuana, and especially every, every home now will have four plants. <laughs> I am not too sure what insanity reigns within the government to suggest that that should happen but that's just the way we are today um, I don't think we think these things through in the long term we're always trying to um, ingratiate ourselves in the favor with a, a minority group and, and and we don't look at the general impact on the on the welfare of the majority and I think that was a mistake uh, that the government has made um, extreme fatigue um, tiredness weariness uh, boredom, nothing seems to interest the child anymore. Um, he's not interested in games or sports or activities. Uh, uh, an inability to concentrate. Um, um, attention span is very, very uh, low. Uh, if he talks about hallucinations or delusions or you find him talking to himself, um, truancy, not going to school, and you discover that he's uh, he's been running around with the, the gang when he should be in school. Uh, insomnia, he can't sleep at night. And for girls in particular who would be inclined to be suicidal, those who find themselves pregnant, that is probably one of the most embarrassing things for a teenager. And uh, it is it's frowned upon uh, by society as it should be. But uh, the weight of a 13-year-old, 14 or 15-year-old girl, a 16-year-old girl being pregnant and the effect that will have on her schooling and the future, uh, that in itself is a clear warning sign. And then um, excessive uh, smoking of weed. Um, if the child has had uh, any form of abuse in the home, she wants to self-hurt herself uh, because she's lost her sense of value. And I would also say it has to do a lot with the relationship between the mom and the dad and between the father and the son. All of these things, if there's not a bad, good relationship in that regard, and then if they find, find that they're not communicating with anybody at home, uh, these are, I've given you about 14 or 15 of, of, of these uh, signs that would say to you that you, know, you need to keep, keep a ch- t- check on your child. Now, as I mentioned, any one of these things that I mentioned or combination of these is normal for an adolescent. But be watchful for your kids because I think the inclination uh, and the rate of suicide is going to increase over time and be very watchful. If you think the child is suicidal or they threaten suicide, take it seriously. As I said, 80% of those who say they're going to commit suicide eventually end up committing suicide. Pastor, are there myths 
about suicide that we need to be aware of? There are several things that um, I don't know if you are familiar with Norman Wright. Uh, he is a Christian psychologist. He's written several books. And in one of his books uh, called um, Crisis Counseling, uh, he drew attention to several uh, myths that um, people misunderstand about the suicide. Let me just mention uh, some of those to you. One of the myths is that uh, people equate suicide and attempted suicide as one class of behavior. But in truth and fact, they're not. A person who uh, commits suicide intends to commit suicide. Uh, a person who um, commit, tries to commit but doesn't uh, end up killing is a person who's crying out for help. So they're not in the same. A person who actually dies by the act is deliberately made that choice to take his life. A person who attempts it but fails, in most cases, that person never intended to commit suicide. And what they really want, they are screaming for help and asking. For, it's, a, it's, a, it's a silent scream for somebody to, to help them, reach out to them. Uh, there's something in their life that needs changing and they need to be given hope in some aspect. So to put the person who commits suicide and attempted suicide in the same category is a major mistake. Uh, a second myth is that suicide is a, a problem for a specific class or group. And that is not true. Right across the board, people uh, commit suicide. So it's not the curse of the rich or the disease of the poor. Uh, any um, sector in society, any level in society uh, could commit uh, suicide. Howbeit, I would like to say that men outnumber women in suicide. Uh, women commit attempt suicide four times more than men, uh, but men uh, commit more forms of suicide. And the age 15 to 25 is a very vulnerable age. That's the third major cause of death in America, but is by the suicide for that age group. The third myth is that people who uh, talk suicide don't intend to commit suicide. As I mentioned before, that's not true. 80% of those who uh, say they're going to commit suicide eventually commit suicide. So you need to take the threat very seriously. And again, uh, they're voicing that because they're expecting somebody to, to sympathize with them, to give them hope, to try to change some aspect of their life that need changing. So take it very seriously. And another myth is that once suicidal, always suicidal. Again, that's not true. Uh, many people who have uh, been thinking of suicide and got an answer to their problems are no longer inclined to be suicidal. And another myth is that suicidal is something that is, in, is hereditary, it runs in families. Again, that is not true. So t suicidal tendencies in a family relates to the family environment. And it has nothing to do with hereditary, heredity. And then um, uh, a Christian cannot commit suicide another great myth uh, again that is not true we all face the same problems and we all struggle with all the major issues all the physical uh, issues that we have all the disorders that we have it is true that a Christian has more resources than a Christian uh, than a non-Christian but there are times when a believer can become overwhelmed and that can lead to suicidal acts itself and then uh, making another myth is making suicide synonymous with depression. Now, while depression is a major cause of, of uh, suicide, the two of them are not to be equated uh, in, in that sense. Um, 
I think those are some of the major myths that uh, surround the matter of suicide. And one last one is that once a person has uh, gotten over the suicidal crisis, the, the risk of suicide is over. Again, that's another myth. Uh, half of those who attempted suicide in the, in, at the, in the first instance uh, committed suicide after the first three months, even though they were rescued for the first attempt. Uh, after three months, they went ahead and committed suicide. So that's a very, very um, critical stage when a person who has attempted suicide, um, the three months after is so critical, they need all the support they can get because people assume that because they got over this hurdle, the problem is solved. As I said, half of those who do that uh, end up committing suicide. Wouldn't discussing suicide with someone who you think may be struggling with that issue, wouldn't that actually push them to kill themselves? I don't think so. It depends on how you uh, approach the matter. Um, I don't think people fully understand. Uh, remember, that when a person is going to a suicidal attempt, they are mentally confused and emotionally distraught. Um, their m- cloudiness of their mind and their thoughts uh, does not enable them to really fully assess the situation. So I, I do not think in any way it, it, um, it would encourage somebody to commit suicide. What you're doing in dealing with the person who wants to commit suicide is giving reasons why they should not commit suicide. And to always emphasize the word help, that there's help there, there are resources to help that person. Uh, and I think it, it, I think it helps the person uh, to be reassured that they're not a cul-de-sac that is an impossible situation. So I don't think of necessity it encourages anybody to commit suicide when you discuss the matter with them. I want to talk a little while, a little bit about how we address suicide. For example, if I'm having suicidal thoughts, where should I turn? Are there places I should not turn or not do? I would recommend that if a person is, is having suicidal thoughts, um, again, I hope the person have the support of a family structure. Um, I would think that they should have some relationship with their mom or their dad. I think that should be a first recourse. Always keep things within the family. Um, this, the second person I think uh, I would recommend a person turn to if they were having suicidal thoughts, if they didn't have the competent parents or the relationship is, is, is not that um, connected, I would suggest that you try to contact a, a, a pastor. And, and, and try to find a pastor who's a, a Bible-preaching uh, pastor who really takes the Bible seriously. There's also the Ministry of Social Transformation, which is the government part that uh, will try to help people who are going through um, a crisis situation. Uh, they can put you in contact with people who would be able to, to, to help counsel you in that process. Would it not be wise, though, to reach out to someone who has a biblical worldview as opposed to a secular worldview? Yeah, that's why I mentioned the parents first, okay. then the, the, the pastor, and then the government in that order. It was a deliberate, um, I didn't want to put it in those words, but you said it well. Um, you, you, the, the thing about the person who is going to, he needs help, he needs purpose, he needs meaning. Uh, he needs to believe he has resources. He needs to believe that there's somebody who's sympathetic, who understands, and somebody who can help to resolve the issue that has created the crisis moment for him that is so overwhelming. And um, and also, he needs to be given hope. And what greater hope is there than to bring God into the picture, into the equation? And that's why it's so important to have a biblical view on these matters to help people in those situations. 
it seems like our world and the entertainment industry is either focused on either ignoring death or it's obsessed with death. Where should our balance be when it comes as Christians on the topic of death? Look, we we are living the culture of death, to be very honest with you. And this, all of this, um, believe it or not, um, started with the Darwinian theory of evolution, where man is just an animal, uh, time-bound. There is no accountability. There's no God. Uh, there's no uh, moral responsibility. There, 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 there are no rules and regulations that are transcultural, are binding on everybody. Um, now, if man is just an animal, just an advanced form of an animal, he doesn't have a future in terms of eternity. There is no God that can meet his need. Uh, it means that life has no purpose. Life has no meaning. And that is why you end up with things like abortion. Uh, because it's not a person, uh, and, and, and it's just an animal, just like any other animal. And that eventually, when you begin to kill babies and you lose your sensitivity that you're killing human life, it will not be long after before you start killing elderly people. And then the handicap, it's like Hitler during the Third Reich, get rid of these uh, people that were a drain on the resources of society. So I expect that over time, we're going to find this trend that um, the idea of euthanasia is becoming increasingly popular and uh, physician-assistant de- death of individuals. This is all. This is the culture of death. Uh, the other extreme is that um, if this is the only life that you have to live for, there's nothing beyond your life, well, why not live it up? That's where the music comes in. You live now for pleasure experience the extent of pleasure and uh, you don't have to think about another life. So it's not surprising that you have a culture of death where life has no meaning, it's no longer sacrosanct. Uh, people talk about the quality of life and when you can't have a certain quality of life, your life has no left meaning so we, we can actually exterminate you and get rid of you. Uh, the other extreme of that uh, of that matter, well, what else do I su- am I supposed to do? There's nothing to live for. There's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no God so I just live it up. So we got these two two masses. As a believer, uh, we have to face the reality that we are responsible to God, that this life does have meaning, and that this life is not the end. We're moving on to eternity. We're going to have an encounter with God. We're going to be judged by Him, and we are to live according to His dictates and His rules and His regulations while we're on planet Earth. And while we must enjoy ourselves, we must avoid Access. We must not violate the standards that He set for us. We need guidelines. We need principles to live by. That's where God gives us those principles. And we have meaning and purpose in life because we are made. We just did not evolve. We're not a product of some slime pit from somewhere. We are a special creation by God, made in God's image. And uh, we, uh, God loves us enough that He has actually redeemed us. We're His children. And we're moving on to eternity to meet that God one day and give him a account for our lives. So we must live soberly, being governed by biblical principles with a Christian worldview. That alone will keep us from these two extremes, a culture of pleasure or a culture of death. One more question, and then I want to transition sure. towards uh, assisted suicide and euthanasia, which you were just alluding to. But if I'm on the phone and my friend just called me and says that they are suicidal, what should I do? Now, people who really don't intend to kill themselves. 
uh, people who are maybe even in the borderline in that regard, they always reach out for somebody for help. They either call a friend, the church, an agency that can assist them. It's a scream. I need help. I need somebody to put my life in perspective. Give me back some meaning. Give me some hope and, and see if you can help me resolve this particular issue. So when you get the particular call that, that comes um, and, and, and the person is insisting that they're suicidal, they're going to do this, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, your first step is to try to establish a relationship with that person, try to maintain contact with that person, and try to establish some kind of rapport because you want to get some kind of information from them. Uh, you need to be a person, when, you, when you're talking to that person, you need to be very calm, um, you need to speak with confidence. Uh, you need to also have some voice of authority in terms of how you speak to them and a genuine caring concern for that person. Um, I would recommend that you use such phrases as, uh, you know, um, you did the right thing in calling. Um, I'm glad you called. I know that we can help you and we're willing to work with you to help you. I want to listen to your problem. Uh, can we talk on this matter, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, somewhere in the conversation with the person, you need to identify yourself and get that person to identify themselves. Try to find out their address, their telephone number. Try to find out anything about their family. Uh, the reason for this is um, if you cannot dissuade the person from committing suicide, you want to pass that information to some authority who can actually visit the home or find out where this person is calling from to try to get help to that person. Meanwhile, you're trying to do everything in your power to keep them on the, on the line and trying to um, establish some kind of rapport with them, etc., etc. Uh, the second thing is would be to try to identify and clarify uh, what the problem is that has led them to this particular point. Um, what is it that has led them to this point where they're thinking of, of killing themselves? Um, uh, what is it that's bothering them so much that is so overwhelming? Uh, what have they tried to do before to try to cope with the problem and what the results were as a result? Uh, please don't tell the person that they should not feel this way and that it's, um, it's not as bad as they seem because they're overwhelmed already. Uh, what you're trying to find out is is what has caused this, what how they've tried to resolve it before, and what has it led to eventually uh, as a result of it. Try to find out uh, especially their feelings. Uh, suicidal people are very, very emotional. They're not, they're not rational. They're not thinking straight and correctly. Try to understand the deep feelings that they have. And then try to clarify these feelings. Sometimes they will not be able to express to you in words how they feel. So try to reflect what they're saying and try to see if, uh, is this what you're saying? Uh, do I understand that you, this is what you mean? You're trying to give some clarity because of the mental confusion. And then um, try to construct a specific plan, plan to help them solve the problem. And you do that by taking the what seems to be the major problem and break it down in small units and then showing them how they can tackle one thing because it's a cumulative, cumulative problem. Trying to see if you can segment the problem and deal with it uh, in segments and, and, and tidbits so that you can show it to them how you can actually resolve the problem. Um, thirdly, try to evaluate what is suicidal potential or what you call the lethality of it. And what I mean by that is you're trying to establish how serious is this suicidal situation is. 
uh, look at the age and the sex of the person. Remember that men uh, actually commit suicide. Women attempt it four times but don't commit it. So if you're dealing with a man, you're dealing with a more serious person. Again, if you're dealing with an adolescent between 15 and uh, from 15 and 25, and there's been a real heartbreak on relationship, maybe uh, a marriage, a, uh, a boyfriend, whatever, that's a serious situation. If you're dealing with a single person who has lost a, a husband or lost a wife, especially if that person is past 65 or they're widowed, you're dealing with a really, really serious crisis situation. So look at the age uh, and the sex. And then um, try to find out if they've attempted suicide before, get a kind of suicidal history, uh, and then try to discover what the plan is, to discover uh, have they really thought this thing out truly, or is this just an ad hoc um, emotional um, decision on their part, and then try to evaluate the suicidal plan in terms of how lethal it is, um, what is available for the suicidal act they're thinking of using. They're thinking of using gas, a gun, poison. Try and see if you can ascertain exactly what they're thinking about and then how specific the plan is, what they intend to do, etc. All the time that you're carrying on this conversation, you should be alerting somebody that you're dealing with a case so that, and especially you can locate the, 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 the home, the, the village, whatever it is, uh, help should be on the way in case you're not able to talk the person out of the suicidal act. And then um, try to make uh, reassert that you have the resources to try to help this person uh, if they lost a job. And, um, you know, you, you need to talk them through that one, that it's not the end of the world. Trying to find out what skills they've got, build up their skill set to let them know that, you know, at, at their age with their skills, there are a lot more opportunities out there. You're going to have to talk them, reason them out of this situation because in this moment of crisis and stress, they're so overwhelmed. The emotions are ruling rather than their minds, and you're going to have to reason with them. Try to formulate the other one is a plan of how to help this particular person on the corner. Uh, are you able to get them to reverse whatever they're doing? Uh, they tell you that they're doing. I'm, I'm turning on the gas. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Uh, try to talk them to reverse that. Uh, and um, if you do get them to reverse that decision, uh, help them to, uh, get them to promise you that if there's a problem again or there's an issue or uh, they're thinking in that direction that they promise that they'll call you first before they do that kind of an act. And then um, try to tell them what resources are available to help them. Um, if it's a school failure, whatever it is, uh, if your church offers counseling, you can offer counseling. Pastors there, you've got a care group. Um, there are different um, aspects of the Ministry of Social Transformation. They may be able to put you in contact with temporary housing or whatever it is. Um, the important thing is to try to show them how their 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 need can be met and how you will uh, try to help them in that regard and what agencies can help them in in that matter. The other thing I was mentioning that, that a lot of times there is a uh, physical needs that are needed at this point in time, and that is where you might have to um, 
take care of help for the physical needs. Take a guy who's lost his job for a whole month or two months, and uh, he's, he's, he's stressed out. Uh, it's good to talk with him on the phone, but it's also good to be able to say, listen, I'll bring you lunch. Okay. Those practical things are what... That's how people know love. I can talk from now to forever, but unless I'm willing to get involved to try to help the person in a practical way, it doesn't impact them like I'm getting involved in a practical way. So it's important to, to, make that, uh, to do that. Suicide, which is what we've been discussing last week and this week, is the voluntary and intentional act of taking one's own life. Euthanasia is the killing of another person with the intention of relieving their suffering. And assisted suicide is helping someone else to end their life. I was amazed, Pastor, when I was researching assisted suicide to find that to learn that in Belgium in 2013, and I imagine it's gotten worse, but in 2013, 1.7%, almost 2% of all deaths in Belgium uh-huh. was a result of physician-assisted suicide. And in fact, it's a growing business around the world. People are traveling to countries that allow physician-assisted suicide in order to end their lives. So how would you respond to the individual who says, I'm showing mercy by killing those in pain or allowing them to kill themselves? Because after all, God is a merciful God. Uh, look, um, the job of a physician is to save life, not to kill life. Um, God is the author of life. God is the taker of life. Uh, it's not the responsibility of any physician to assist anybody in committing any kind of uh, suicide. What a doctor needs to do. And by the way, the the, the level of um, technology, um, medical technology, is at such a high level today that uh, the problem of pain substantially can be dealt with. Uh, I think what a, a doctor needs to do is to take care of the, if it's a matter of pain and anguish, take care of the pain, but to actually uh, give that person a portion of medication or to to do something deliberately to to cause, uh, to further his death uh, and to quicken his death. I, th- I would be in, I would have a moral problem with that as a physician. A physician is supposed to save life. However, I do feel that if a person uh, has been told they're terminally ill. They've told there's absolutely nothing we can do for you. And that person requests that there be no special treatment. In other words, let nature take its full course. I think a physician is his right, and I think a person, they're a believer. Death is not the worst thing for a believer, by the way. Yeah. I, I, people need to understand that. It's not the worst thing for a believer. There are believers who would rather n- nature take its full course, leave the matter in God's hand, uh, don't want to be hooked up to any machines, but that's a decision of the individual. I don't think it's the responsibility of doctors to take life and death in their hand. Their job is to preserve life and to relieve pain. So I'm not for um, assistant suicide by any doctors whatsoever. You mentioned the Dutch situation. Yeah. I read about the, the, the Belgium. Belgium, yes. I read about the Dutch one, and I think this is a fascinating one that is very instructive. In 1990, uh, Remlink Committee uh, um, did a, a, a forensic investigation of the doctors, the Dutch doctors and the physicians, and some amazing statistics stood out. Uh, 1,130 patients were killed by the Dutch doctors without their consent. Without, without their consent. 
Uh, not only that, of these 1,330 that were, ki- were killed by the doctors without their consent, 140 of those were fully mentally competent. 110 of those were slightly mentally impaired. But the point is, they were killed without they even know they were being killed. The report also found that 14,175 patients uh, were denied medical treatment without their consent and died as well. So we're headed to a point where the physician will decide now who lives and who dies. But again, you can see what's happening. Once you have devalued life, that life is no longer sacrosanct, is no longer sacred, that what matters is what people call the quality of life. Now you've given the physician to act as God. He decides what the quality of life is for you. That's where we're headed. It's a very dangerous trend. Um, the other factor that was discovered in the, this investigation called the RIMLINK Committee in 1990, 60% of the Dutch doctors do not report the cases in which they assisted suicide. Wow. 25% admit to ending patient lives without their consent. And there's another fascinating figure that uh, there is a case where a 26-year-old girl, uh, ballerina, a dancer, she did, did develop arthritis in her toes so she could no longer dance and she requested that she be terminated and she was terminated at 26 years old. See? Because she wasn't because able to proceed Because she wasn't able to proceed at her, her career as, uh, and she decided that uh, she was so depressed she requested that to be taken. This is where it is headed and that is where when you begin to tamper with, with life and you tamper with the, you can see how easily if we are not made in the image of God if we are a product of a slime pit somewhere or some chemicals that randomly came together, a chance brought us here. If there is no life after death, there's no accountability of God, there's no morality, we can very well see if man is just an animal but an advanced animal, then life, human life, has no meaning. We have a question that came in from the community of painters in Antigua. Good evening. If you commit suicide, do you go to hell as a Christian? We discussed that last week, and I'm sorry that you missed it. Look, if a person is truly born again, he's put his faith and trust in Christ, uh, he's saved until the day of redemption. He can never perish. He's in God's hand. He which has begun a good work, and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, We believe that a born-again believer who has truly put his faith and trust in Christ is completely safe, and there is nothing he can do that will undo his redemptive work his, his salvation his position of Christ he is now a child of God he is now adopted into God's family he's sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption those are promises that we're given in God's word but in a moment of either insanity or deep deep dark depression where he loses his, his focus his mind he commits an act of suicide it is sin yes but it's not the unpardonable sin there's only one unpardonable sin mentioned in the Bible, and that is attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to demons. And one single act of a sin cannot be the basis for a man being damned eternally in hell. So if a person, a Christian, commits suicide, a genuine believer commits suicide for whatever reason, insanity, whatever the reason, he is not lost. He is in Christ's care and God's grace will cover that sin. Many elderly people 
see themselves as a burden, whether it be emotionally or financially, on their families. And they would rather die than put their family, cost their family a fortune. How do you counsel either that elderly individual or the family member who sees their parent taking that philosophy to heart? I think a lot has to do with the relationship between the parent and the children. I get a little bit distraught when I see children putting their their, their elderly parents in these homes. Now, I know there are times when it has to be done. There are medical reasons for it, the kind of care that's required. Um, you need uh, somebody to be constantly there, et cetera, et cetera. So I know the exception to the rule, but I also know that sometimes it's not necessary. I think it's more convenient. Before that is even done, I think that they should really sit down and discuss it with the parent and uh, the, the, the family should sit down and discuss it to see what can be done. What are the other alternatives? Uh, can I take care of mom this week and you take care of mom the following week? What do we do? Uh, can I take her in my home this week and you in the next home next week? Can I build on a little compartment to my house, a little room to my house? The money that I will take to spend all this money down at the 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 the, the, the place these places to take care of these. Can I put on a little? Can we come together and put on a little place where we can have mom there? We can try to take care of mom in that matter. Do we have people in the church? that are willing to come by and help and assist if you can't afford to have someone to be paid regularly. Um, can, can can somebody from the church be willing to come and, 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 and clean and feed whatever it is and you give them some kind of a stipend? There have to be alternatives. But a parent will not live long as long as they consider themselves a burden. And any parent that feels that they are a burden to a, a, a family it will not be very long before they will the, 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 the will to live will not be there, and I think that is a problem that needs to be addressed. Now I know the cost of of uh, care is exorbitant. Uh, sometimes I wish I had an answer to these. I wish sometimes there were churches or ministries that could assist and the family assist so that these people could be properly taken care of. They're given so much of their life and then the cost is so prohibit, uh, prohibitive. They feel that they're this massive burden. Um, but I, I don't recommend it. I know it has to be done. I think an alternative would be what I'm suggesting. Put on a, let the, all the four children come together and put a little one bedroom house to take care of mom or dad, whatever it is. Uh, question with a quick answer. If a doctor assists someone to end their life in God's eyes, will that doctor be held accountable for murder? Of course, because God... Even if the individual asks for assistance in committing suicide. Well, if I ask you to shoot me, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Look, life belongs to God. God gives life. God takes life. Uh, um I would not, as a physician, carry that burden of that guilt because I am intruding in an ear. Look, do you know the people who were thought beyond recovery that God miraculously intervened and they were healed? I don't want to carry the burden of uh, knowing that I'm responsible for somebody's death. We have a question that just came in from Sweets in Antigua via WhatsApp. Thank you for the individual who sent that. Would you consider it assisted suicide if a father were to pull the plug on his son that is brain dead and is on life support? No, that's a different thing altogether because you've got to define what death is. And uh, it used to be, death used to be defined in the 60s uh, when you stop breathing. Uh, now, the, 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 when you have a, the, the brain wave is no longer functioning, that is now uh, legally 
this uh, what death is about. In a case like that, the person no brain wave, the person is dead. Okay. So I don't see a problem in that respect. The loss of dignity or the control of one's bowels is most often the significant factor that propels people toward assisted suicide. What do you? What advice do you have for an elderly listener who is is struggling with quality of life, but just just wants to give up the hope of living? The myth today is that the criteria of morality is the quality of life. The biblical criteria is the sanctity of life, right? Okay. We need to distinguish between the two. We we have now elevated the quality of life to where it used to be the sanctity of life, that life was sacrosanct, that we, we, we do everything to preserve life. I I suppose if I'd ever reached a stage where I'm incontinent and I can't control my bowel movement, that would be the most embarrassing thing for me as a man. But again, let me think, let's think about it for just a moment. Is not the real issue there pride? Hmm. Is not that the real, real issue of pride? And uh, are you going to try to end your life before God has decided? Uh, in the book of Job, it says that our months are numbered. Uh, and I, I, I can understand the humiliation of having to be wiped, of having to be taken care of. But it may be the time where we need to humble ourselves before God and just accept the care of those who love us rather than feel that we are burdened because of pride and we become so humiliated. So I don't think that's an excuse for wanting to die and wanting to commit suicide. As a Christian, you often talk about a right to life. But what about a right to death? It's my life. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, Again, go back to Scripture. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So for a believer... You don't own yourself. You don't own your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But what about if I'm not a believer? You don't have that right either because God gives life and God takes life. Uh, whether you accept it or not, uh, if you are created by God, He is the creator, you're the creature, you're under His authority. So you ought to submit to that authority and understand that you belong to Him. That is, that you're His person who is created. You need to become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us this week on That's Truth. Be sure you tune in next week. We'll be discussing the topic, What Does the Bible Say Our View Should Be About Fets and Carnival? Thank you for listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Keep your radio dial tuned to 1160 AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www. 
www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.